endometriosis is a common estrogen-dependent gynecological disorder that can affect up to 10% of all reproductive-aged women. We know, according to the data, that there's a higher chance of endometriosis in women who present with infertility. In general, endometriosis presents with two main conditions, chronic pelvic pain and infertility. In this session, we will review the ASRM scoring system for endometriosis and review management plan of infertility when endometriosis is the etiology. Endometriosis is defined as the presence of endometrial-like tissue, which is glands and stroma, outside of the uterus. The ovary, which is the most common site of endometriosis, may have unilateral or bilateral involvement. In general, two of three pathological findings can be present at time of suspected lesion histological evaluation, that is, ectopic endometrial glands, ectopic endometrial stroma, and hemosiderin-laden macrophages. The degree of endometriosis found at laparoscopy and the patient's presenting symptoms are kind of a mystery. In other words, there does not seem to be a correlation between the amount of endometriosis found at laparoscopy and the degree of patient's pain. However, there is an association between the amount of endometriosis found at laparoscopy and the relative risk of future fertility. There is a staging system endorsed by the American Society of Reproductive Medicine for evaluating and categorizing endometriosis that is found at diagnostic laparoscopy. Stage 1 endometriosis is minimal disease. Here, there are few or small implants of endometriosis with no scar tissue evident. So remember that as a clinical pearl, that the ASRM classification of endometriosis does not begin with mild disease, which is actually stage two, but with minimal disease, which is stage one. Stage two endometriosis is mild disease. Here, there are more implants of endometriosis, but less than two inches of the abdomen is involved. And again, there is no scar tissue. Moderate disease is stage 3 endometriosis. Here, there's quite a bit of endometriosis in the abdomen, which may be deep and may create pockets of endometriotic fluid called chocolate cysts in the ovaries. These may also scar around the surrounding adnexa and cause agglutination of the fimbria to the ovary. So remember, stage 3 is the potential endometrioma or chocolate cysts. Stage 4 endometriosis is severe disease. Here, there is a significant amount of endometriotic implants with possibly large endometriotic cysts in the ovaries. There's also an increased amount of scar or agglutination between the uterus, the adnexa, and the rectum. It's easy to understand how moderate or severe endometriosis impacts fertility because of true anatomical distortions of the tubal ovarian complex. But how does minimal or mild disease affect fertility? Well, this is a deeper issue. Not only is this potentially an anatomical distortion, which remember, that's more for moderate and severe stages, but what we now know is that even minimal or mild disease can impact ovarian function and peritoneal makeup. 
even with minimal or mild disease, what's known is that women with endometriosis actually have decreased ovarian function compared to those without endometriosis. For example, the number of pre-ovulatory follicles, follicular growth, and dominant follicle size are actually reducing the ovaries of endometriosis patients. Further, interleukin-6 and its soluble receptor, which are present in the peritoneal fluid of women with endometriosis, significantly decrease aromatase gene expression in the human granulosa cells. All of this leads to suboptimal follicular environments when endometriosis is present. Additionally, even minimal or mild disease can alter the peritoneal fluid character leading to higher concentration of cytokines which makes the entire pelvic environment less conducive to conception. The volume of peritoneal fluid is significantly elevated in infertile women with endometriosis compared to those without the condition. It has been demonstrated that incubation of peritoneal fluid from women with moderate or severe endometriosis actually causes about a 40, 50, and even 80% decline in sperm motility. Moreover, peritoneal fluid in patients with endometriosis have a detrimental action on the sperm acrosomal reaction. Additionally, studies have shown that endometriotic implants secrete estradiol and progesterone, which attract macrophages, vascular endothelial growth factor, and interleukin-8 and increased concentrations of interleukin-6. An increased number of activated macrophages also secretes various local products like growth factors and inflammatory cytokines, all of which make for a bad milieu to favor infertility. Well, as if all of that wasn't enough, unfortunately, there's also data that women with endometriosis can suffer from endometrial dysfunction, leading to impaired implantation. Some evidence suggests that disorders of endometrial function may contribute to the decreased fecundity observed in women with endometriosis. There is reduced endometrial expression of key factors that are needed for proper implantation. Very low levels of an enzyme involved in the synthesis of the endometrial ligand for L-selectin, a protein that coats the trophoblast on the surface of the blastocyst, has also been observed in infertile women with endometriosis. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. In our immediate past podcast, we reviewed the ASRM diagnostic algorithm for infertility. And remember, we stated that laparoscopy was not part of the primary evaluation process. However, diagnostic and potentially operative laparoscopy can be considered after two basic scenarios. The first is when the primary screening tests reveal a potential abnormality. For example, if the HSG shows potential tubal blockage or transvaginal ultrasound shows a potential endometrioma, then follow-up laparoscopy to confirm or refute those findings should be done. 
The second scenario for which laparoscopy may be considered is after treatment of three and definitely up to six cycles of controlled ovarian hyperstimulation with intrauterine insemination. In other words, if the patient and her partner have been diagnosed with unexplained infertility and three and definitely by six cycles of controlled ovarian hyperstimulation in IUI fail to achieve a pregnancy, then laparoscopy should be considered to rule out the possibility of coexisting endometriosis. But when considering whether or not to perform laparoscopy on a woman presenting with a complaint of infertility, the physician should consider both the likelihood of the diagnosis of endometriosis as well as the potential benefit of treatment. A history and pelvic examination can yield a number of significant findings that can suggest endometriosis, like cyclic or chronic pelvic pain, dysmenorrhea, dyspareunia, or a fixed retroverted uterus. There can also be an adnexal mass and uterosacral ligament nodularity. Additionally, ultrasound can help the clinician establish a presumptive diagnosis of an ovarian endometrioma, but it cannot reliably image peritoneal implants of disease. A laparoscopic diagnosis of asymptomatic endometriosis in a woman without signs or symptoms of the condition can sometimes be made. However, and here's a clinical pearl, laparoscopic confirmation of asymptomatic endometriosis is almost always limited to uncovering minimal or mild disease. The therapeutic benefit of laparoscopy to increase fecundity in a woman with mild disease is actually minimal. So the combination of these factors renders laparoscopy of otherwise asymptomatic women with infertility simply to rule out or confirm the disease unwarranted. That's why, remember, laparoscopy is not part of the initial evaluation for infertility. All right, we come back. Let's take a look at the specific management algorithm for patients with endometriosis-associated infertility because the treatment for endometriosis-associated infertility is actually based on the stage of disease. As for treatment, for patients with minimal or mild endometriosis, remember that stage 1 or 2, the treatment is actually the same as that for couples with unexplained infertility. In other words, controlled ovarian hyperstimulation and intrauterine insemination is a treatment of choice for both unexplained infertility and minimal and mild endometriosis. For infertile women with diagnosed ASRM stage 3 or 4 endometriosis and no other identifiable infertility factor, conservative surgery with laparoscopy and or possible IVF are recommended. Remember that the goal of surgery is to restore anatomy back to normal while preserving as much native tissue as possible. Now, although not fully evaluated by RCTs, observational studies suggest that surgical therapy increases fertility in women with this advanced endometriosis stages. So, expectant management should be discouraged in patients with known stage 3 or 4 disease. Now, for women who are found to have an otherwise asymptomatic endometrioma and who are planning to undergo IVF, there's insufficient evidence to suggest that removal of the endometrioma will improve the IVF success. However, 
If the endometrioma is large, and that's defined as greater than 4 centimeters, then surgery should be considered to confirm the diagnosis histologically, to improve access to follicles during oocyte retrieval, and possibly to improve ovarian response. The patient should be made aware that extensive ovarian surgery could also compromise ovarian function and diminish the response to ovarian stimulation. Now a quick word regarding post-op medical therapy after endometriosis debulking. Post-operative medical therapy has been advocated as a means of eradicating residual endometriotic implants in patients with extensive disease in whom resection of all implants is impossible or inadvisable. Post-op hormonal therapy may also treat microscopic disease. However, none of these treatments have been proven to further enhance fertility. So, based on current expert opinion, the use of post-op hormonal suppression for endometriosis should only be done for patients with significant pain, but not for those suffering with infertility. All right, now that we're getting towards the end of our session, we do have to remember that we have to educate and counsel patients that unfortunately the data do show that women with endometriosis do have higher risks of certain adverse obstetrical outcomes, including preterm labor, bleeding abnormalities, and even a higher risk of preeclampsia. We actually have a whole podcast on this topic, and you can find that on the archive. We have wrapped up our summary of the ASRM practice guidelines for infertility care in patients with endometriosis. Thanks for being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you next time on another episode of Clinical Pearls.